Good morning. I'm going to read our passage this morning. It's in Acts 9. So you can turn there. It's on page 918 uh, in, your, uh, in the Bible in front of you. Acts 9. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rob Miles. Uh, my wife Jane and I uh, have been members here at Joy for a number of years, and uh, we're just very grateful to be part of this body. Um, it's one of the, the many ways that God's been kind to us by bringing us here. So uh, again, I'm going to read Acts 9. I'm going to start in verse 32 and then go to the end of the chapter to verse 43. So Acts 9, verse 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside. And knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then, calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this great privilege that we have just to hear the words that, that we all heard, that were read. Lord, there's many people in our world who don't have that privilege to, to know you, to know your truth, to hear from you. And so we thank you for that. We pray that we wouldn't take it lightly. We pray now that you would humble us, that as we hear your word preached through Jason, that you would bless him and that you would bless all of us as hearers, that we would have humble hearts, that we would not try to put ourselves in a position where we would judge your word or pick and choose what we think is, is acceptable and and, and not, but that, Lord, we would truly allow you to rebuke us, to correct us, to encourage us, and that we would seek to be changed by your word. 
We need you to change us. We need your spirit. We can't do anything apart from you. Your word will just bounce off our hearts as if they're stones unless you soften them. And so we pray now that you would bless us all this morning as we hear your word and that you alone would be glorified. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I will come right out of the gate uh, by saying I promise you that unless Matt Hartel hacked my Google Drive and looked at my sermon notes, he had no way of knowing what I was about to start this sermon with, uh, but the Lord knew. Uh, on the night before Jesus died, he celebrated the Passover with his 12 disciples. Uh, well, there were 12 there at the beginning of the Passover and, and 11 at the end. And so many things about that night were shocking and powerful. Uh, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He told them that the, the bread and wine of the Passover supper were now to be seen as his body and blood. He told them that he was going to be betrayed and that one of them would be the one to do it. He told a loudly protesting Peter that he would deny Jesus three times. And of course, it came to pass. But after that, in John's account of the conversations in the upper room, he notes something that Jesus said that sounds impossible. I would even say, except for the fact that Jesus himself said it, it sounds blasphemous. John 14, 12 through 14. Matt referenced it in the pastoral prayer. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that, my fa that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. How can it be that Jesus would say that his followers would do greater works than he did? That makes no sense. Certainly no work could exceed the glory and the power and the value of Jesus dying for our sins and being raised from the dead, correct? That is correct, okay? I want to be very clear about that. That is correct. So what did he mean? Well, as the book of Acts unfolds, we see the words of Jesus finding their fulfillment. Greater works are being done because He's sending His people everywhere to do mighty works in His name. To preach the Gospel in His name. On many fronts, the power and grace of Jesus are seen. His power speaks of His saving mercy. And all over the world, they're scattering to tell and show that Jesus is Lord and King. Last week's passage concluded with Saul setting sail for Tarsus. Today, in the passage that Rob read, Saul's now he's on a, he's on a boat. We're not going to hear from him for a couple weeks. And Peter comes back onto the scene. Peter is journeying throughout the towns of Israel, presumably preaching the gospel, strengthening the saints wherever he went. Today's passage takes us to Leda and Jaffa. I consulted my local 
pronunciation expert in Hebrew uh, to know that what we call, what I would have called Joppa is, is the modern day Yaffa in Israel. Uh, so uh, they, these two towns are about 25 and 37 miles from Jerusalem, respectively. Uh, so this is a journey that, that takes Peter toward the sea and closer still toward heavily Gentile-occupied areas. And this morning, I'd like us to consider four things from the passage that Rob read. Uh, and yes, since it's my last time preaching for a little while here, I'm going to do some alliteration. Four things that we see in this passage. Uh, pattern, it's four Ps. Pattern, people, power, product. Okay? Pattern, people, power, product. So in other words, I want us to see that the healings in this passage follow a pattern. Uh, some details about the people who are healed. The power that healed them and the product of those healings. Got it? You with me? Pattern, people, power, product. Our God is a healing God. And through the Lord Jesus, He brings the hope of healing that we cannot fathom in our natural state. He does mighty work that His name and His fame might spread to the ends of the earth. So let's start with the pattern. One of the things that stood out to me, maybe, did some of you read this passage this week? I would encourage you. It's in the announcements every week. Every once in a while, it's good to say, we, we love it. I can speak for every person who preaches up here. We love it when you show up having read the passage. I, and I'll give you above and beyond that. We love it when you read the passage and like on Wednesday, you send some thoughts and questions that came to your mind as you were reading the passage, I would love that. Larry, is that fair to say? Larry gives the thumbs up to that as well. We, we love to, to hear that kind of communication, the things that you're processing through, the things that come to your mind as you're reading this week. Uh, so there you go. For next week, do that. But one of the things that stood out to me as I read through, as I started my sermon prep, is that these healings in this passage are strikingly similar to ones that we saw Jesus do in the Gospels, right? That, that stand out to you at all? In John chapter 5, Jesus encounters a man by the pool of Bethesda, a pool that, that locals believed had healing powers when it was stirred up. Um, this man had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years he went to that pool, and Jesus comes up to him and he says, do you want to be healed? And it's a question that seems at face value like, duh, yes. But, but actually, this man had it's clearly abandoned all hope of actually being healed. He, he said, you know, I lay here, the waters get stirred up, everybody gets in before me, I, nobody helps me. 38 years, there's really not much hope left. And Jesus says to that man, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And he does. That's an amazing, true story. Peter encounters Aeneas in Lydda. Aeneas had been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. And we have no evidence 
that anybody was actually asking for Aeneas to be healed. Or believing that it could happen, and yet that doesn't hinder the power of God. Peter's words sound very similar to Jesus' words, with one exception that we're going to get back to. Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. Now, Aeneas wasn't out in a public place. Aeneas was laying in his house. And the words that Peter uses when he says, rise and make your bed, are actually something like, get up and fix yourself some dinner. It sounds pretty direct, but, but imagine hearing those words as a man who's been laying bedridden for years. Get up and, and fix yourself some dinner. You're not going to need help preparing tonight's meal because you're going to walk right now. It's an unbelievable scene. You are free from the physical limitations that held you back. And the second account, the healing of Tabitha, is also extremely similar to an account that we see in Mark chapter 5, where Jesus raises the daughter of Jairus, a synagogue ruler, from the dead. Though the crowds disbelieved, Jesus urged Jairus, just don't, don't doubt, just believe. Trust that even your daughter's death is not an insurmountable object for me. He goes into the family's home. Luke's account of this healing uh, tells us that Peter, James, and John were with Jesus when this happened. He goes into this home and he takes the girl by the hand and he says, little girl, get up. And more strikingly for the present context, Mark records Jesus' words in Aramaic, right? Do you know what they are? You know what the word for little girl is in Aramaic? Talitha. Talitha kumi. Little girl, get up. What does Peter say here? Tabitha kumi. Tabitha, arise. Peter imitates his master, which makes a ton of sense practically and biblically. I mean, who better to, to imitate and practice than Jesus himself, right? We see a similarity in the Old Testament. If you've read through the accounts of the lives of Elijah and Elisha, there was much imitation from Elisha to Elijah. While healings of this nature by a specific person seem to be, I, I want to be pretty clear about this. I'll probably get back to this a little bit. It, it, we see a pattern in Scripture where healings of this nature tend to happen on the frontiers of gospel ministry to lend credibility to the message that was about to be proclaimed. However, the, the concept of being imitators of God, imitators of Christ, and imitators of the faithful brothers and sisters... That's a, that, that is a concept that we see throughout Scripture. Imitation of the Lord and the faithful is a biblical call. So we see Peter imitating Jesus. And we are called to do the same. Uh, I'm not going to look at all of these, but if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 
To get the full context, you're going to need to read all that's before it, but we're not going to. Um, but talking about walking out, walking out our faith, putting off, putting on, walking in love. Ephesians 5.1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Look at... Uh, Let's go 1 Corinthians chapter 4. First Corinthians 4. Verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Uh, let's do one more. What do you think? Want to go to Hebrews? How about, how about we go to Hebrews? the book of Hebrews. Chapter 6. Verse 11 and 12. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Over and over. There, I have others here. I, I'll list them. I have, I have 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1 Thessalonians 1.6, 1 Thessalonians 2.14, 2 Thessalonians 3.7-10, Hebrews 13.7, 3 John 1.11. Over and over and over again in Scripture, we are called to be the, the faithful, those who are trusting in Christ, are called to be imitators of God and imitators of those who have gone before us in the faith. Over and over. We're to follow the pattern. We are supposed to look at Christ. Look to Christ. Look to the Lord. Ask for His help. Look to those who are faithful and follow their example. That is a call upon us. By God's grace and empowering we are also called to live lives that are worth imitating. Do you consider that as you walk out your faith daily? That yours is to be a faith by God's grace that others could imitate. I don't like to think about that. I like, I, I, I think, you know, well, you know, Charles Barkley, right? I'm not a role model. You know, that, that, uh, that's a little old. That's like a 40-year-old reference. Uh, that's, uh, sorry. Uh, but, but if you think like that about, about your faith, you're wrong. You're wrong. We're, we are called to live a life worth imitating by God's grace. Now, that includes, a life worth imitating includes... Said this to Noah and Leah yesterday, right? I was wrong. 
I dropped the ball. And this is a perfect time for me to say I was confronted this week about something I said in my sermon last week that was wrong. It wasn't sinful. Like, I, I didn't even remember I said it. And then Larry was like, you know there's not 929 chapters in the New Testament, right? <laughs> and I do. I do know that. And I somehow said that last week, that there are 920. There are not. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament. There are 929 chapters in the Old Testament. So my apologies if I tripped you up at any point last week with that, that data. Uh, we are called to imitate and to be imitable in our faith. All right, I've got to move on. So we've talked about the pattern. Peter is following the pattern of his master. How about the people? The people that were healed. And there are a lot of directions we could go in when we speak about Aeneas and Tabitha. Uh, and and I, I want to know, like, what is the significance of them being the ones who are healed? It seems reasonable to think, based on the surrounding context, we know that Tabitha was a believer. Uh, it's very clear. But we, it seems also uh, reasonable to believe that Aeneas was a believer in Christ. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be so. But he was one that Peter encountered as he came to the saints who lived at Leda. And as for Tabitha, we again have clear testimony that she was a believer. She's referred to as a disciple. She's commended for her good works and her acts of charity. We don't know if she was a widow herself, but her ministry to the widows of Jaffa uh, is clearly seen through their sorrow over her death and their display of the garments that she had made for them while she was alive. Tabitha had left a legacy of love for God and for others. You know, going back to that point I just made a couple minutes ago, brothers and sisters in Christ, have you considered the legacy you're going to leave behind to those after you? We spend a lot of time, you know, Larry prayed about it in the confession. We spend a lot of time talking about like and thinking about the financial legacy we're going to leave. Making sure those who are after us are well set up or to give something to somebody. But what about our spiritual legacy? And this is, to be clear, not some like have your jersey retired like, you know, we're going to hang hang Jason's jersey on the rafters and say, well, we'll never forget all that he did for us. That's not what it's about. You know, the Moravians, right? They were, they were the people like, I want to, be, I want to die and be forgotten, right? That, that, that's an okay posture. I don't need to be remembered forever. But what is the legacy that we're passing on? That's not just to our, our, our children. This is to the next generation of disciples of Christ in our gathering. This is for everyone. What is the spiritual legacy that we are passing on? What was remembered about Tabitha was her, her good works, her acts of charity, her care for the widows in the congregation. It's noted here. What's noted about Aeneas? Nothing. Not that he was, I'm not saying Aeneas was a bad guy. I'm just saying it was noted. Luke felt that it needed to be said that Tabitha was known for her good works and acts of charity. What a blessing it would be. What a gift of God's grace to have others say of us that we love the Lord and we love this people. It's also notable that Peter healed a man and a woman. Throughout Scripture, 
the dignity and value of both genders, male and female, is affirmed. Luke actually seems more complimentary of Tabitha, as I said. The kingdom of God is one where we all have value and worth. Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. For as many as, uh, of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The Lord is gracious to all without distinction. It's also worth noting, so we've we've noted, you know, the people, male and female, the legacy Tabitha has left. It's also worth noting that the people are the mission. The people are the mission. It's, It's really easy for churches and individuals to get so caught up in the big picture that we forget people. The people that are right around us who are the mission. Jesus modeled this so well. He had a mission. Jesus had a mission. He was always driving toward the goal of His mission, the cross. Nothing deterred Him from His mission. But He was never too busy to care for people. To stop and pay attention to those who are needy. To show mercy and kindness to those who are on His way. We could deep dive into any of those topics. But as we consider the people in this passage, I think there's one primary thing that we need to know. And it's this. These two people were helpless. Aeneas didn't have a little cold. Tabitha did not have a sprained ankle. They were both in conditions that were unfixable from a human perspective. And we're going to get to the power by which this happened, but I'll get ahead of myself a little bit here by saying that the healing of Aeneas and the resurrection of Tabitha are a reminder that there is no obstacle so great that God can't overcome it. A reminder that our God is in the business of rescuing the utterly incapable. Which is wonderful news for us, isn't it? God rescues the utterly incapable? That sounds amazing. God tells us to worship Him and live our lives completely for His glory. He is King And He calls us to joyful submission to Him. Following His commands, perfect obedience, and we are utterly incapable in and of ourselves to follow that command. Imagine a friend passing by Aeneas, passing by Tabitha and saying, hey, just get up. What would you think of that person? You would think either that they're crazy or they're cruel, right? Aeneas, why don't you just get up and walk? 
Peter utters an impossible word to Aeneas and Tabitha in both of their accounts. An impossible word, rise. And they rise. God brings to life. God heals. The gospel of Jesus is proclaimed throughout the world today, and the gospel brings with it an impossible word. Believe. Believe. Believe that Jesus is truly the Son of God. Believe that His perfect life is credited to all who trust in Him. Believe that His death on a Roman cross was for your sin to atone for your rebellion against the God who commanded you to obey Him, who is the King over all. Believe that Jesus was raised from the dead in victory over sin and death. Believe. We can't and we don't want to. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. But God does an amazing thing in the proclamation of the gospel message. He raises the dead. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you want to turn there. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3. Second Corinthians 4, 3 Corinthians 4.3, the Apostle Paul says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's, that's what the Lord does. When that gospel word goes forward and a heart is transformed, it is, it is speaking as impossible a word to a person as the word get up Ananias is. The call to believe is impossible until the Lord makes it possible. And then it's possible. These healings will ultimately point to that reality that our God raises the spiritually dead, opens the eyes of the spiritually blind, gives mobility to the spiritually paralyzed, through a word. Peter saying rise seems so foolish from a human perspective, but he knew the power in which he trusted, which brings us to that point. The power. When Peter heals Ananias, Ananias, yeah, I'm combining Aeneas and Ananias there. Yeah. Try again. When Peter heals Aeneas, he makes it abundantly clear whose power he's trusting in, right? Aeneas, he say, here I am to heal you. Jesus Christ heals you. 
When he heals Tabitha, while there's no explicit mention of Jesus' name, Luke does note that Peter knelt down and prayed. Clear that he is relying on the power of the Lord. A little side note here, since we're at at this point. You back in Acts chapter 9? Um, It says that in verse 38... That the, the disciples, hearing that Peter was uh, in Leda, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. Now, the, I think that begs the question, did they run to Peter because they thought Peter could heal Tabitha? Or because they, wanted him, they, they knew that he probably had heard of her and they wanted him to come pay respects? I got bad news for you. I've read lots of commentaries this week. And they all are like, we're not really sure. Uh, There's not a ton of evidence either way. Uh, But they did want Peter to come. And Tabitha was in this upper room for others to come and pay their respects. The Lord knows. So Peter makes it very clear in both accounts that he is trusting in a power not his own. And he makes it also very clear that that Jesus is the one who is to be praised for these mighty works. The name of Jesus is the name that heals. The power of Jesus is the power that heals. Uh, The next verse in that 2 Corinthians 4 passage that we just read together, 4-7, you don't have to go there, but we have this treasure the gospel, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Peter is not looking to do something to make much of himself, but of the God who heals the sick and raises the dead. All that we as believers in Christ do is meant to shine light on the one who actually accomplishes his purposes through us. We do what we do, or we are called to do what we do, by His power, for His glory. All glory belongs to the Lord alone. Why is it that I detest self-proclaimed faith healers? Because the end goal of everything they do is self-glory. Because they use their so-called powers to defraud and trick vulnerable people. Because they take what they call the power of God and they use it for wicked gain. And when you see some false prophet standing on a stage peddling healing powers, making a show for their own pleasure, steer clear. That is not of the Lord. Those who exalt themselves, who use their own powers for their own gain. That's not what we see in Scripture. Everything, all praise, all glory deflected to the one who is worthy of it. We are not glory receptacles. We can't bear the weight of glory. All glory belongs to the Lord. 
Peter prays and speaks and acts as one who desires no glory for himself and wants it all directed to the one who actually heals. Peter, Peter doesn't want it to be mixed up. I didn't do this. You'll see it. It's a pattern throughout Acts. We've seen it already in chapter 3. We'll continue to see it throughout Acts. This isn't about us. This is Jesus who's doing this. That you might know that He is Lord and Savior. That He is the one who He said He was. Which brings us to the last point of our message this morning. What is the purpose of these healings? I've kind of given it away already. but Before I say anything else about the purpose of these healings, I do want to make clear one more time. These healings are wonderful in and of themselves. Right? A life is forever changed and a life is restored. Peter speaks to both of them by name. Peter displays tenderness and real care for these individuals. And the Lord is worthy of praise just for that. However, in both instances of healing, we see the advancement of the Gospel. We see that what Luke is ultimately driving at, what Jesus told His disciples to do, is happening. Verse 35, it says, And all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw Him, Aeneas, and they turned to the Lord. They saw this happen, they turned to the Lord. Verse 42, And it became known throughout all Jaffa, and many believed in the Lord. The gifts and talents that we have, any good deeds that we do as believers in Christ, they are meant to ultimately be used in service of gospel ministry. These healings became a means by which many were drawn to the message of eternal healing. Not just healing from paralysis, but eternal healing. Healing of the soul. Eternal hope and salvation. This is not... Jesus is my heavenly slot machine who gives me what I want to make me feel good right now. This is not, maybe if I say I believe, He'll give me stuff. This is a group of people reckoning with the miraculous work done in the name of Jesus and an understanding that if He is alive like Peter said, and if He's able to do mighty works like this, And one day, I'm going to stand before Him and give an account for the life I lived? I am doomed. Look throughout the pages of Scripture and see how frequently the Lord uses His mighty works, both positive and works of judgment, to stir people to look to Him. I think we need to see that in here, that the ultimate was to stir people to look to Him, not just for physical healing, but for real salvation. What is most amazing is that when people look on the Mighty One, when people look on the Healer, the One to whom we all must give an account, that still stands true today. You know that, right? we will give an account. And the account we give will start with, what did you do with my son?
And when we look to that one, the one to whom we stand to give account and the one before whom we are doomed, we find him willing to show mercy. The people who turn to the Lord are not turned away. The people who turn to the Lord experience a miracle every bit as amazing as the ones Aeneas and Tabitha experienced. Believers in Christ, you know this miracle. The miracle of a transformed heart. It is no less amazing. It actually might be more amazing. We look at that and say, man, if, if only I could be healed of you. Know, what he turned us from darkness to light. From not loving Him, not caring about Him, not, not paying Him any mind, to worshipers of Him. That's an amazing thing. That's a miracle. These people were stirred by the grace of God. And they looked to the One who stands to judge them. The judge of all. And they received mercy through the Lord Jesus. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The mercy shown to these residents of Leda, Sharon, and Jaffa is evidence that the Lord is fulfilling His promise. The extent of His mercy has only begun to be seen, but we're seeing the Gospel continuing to go forward and bear fruit, change lives, change hearts, Today's passage ends a little throwaway verse. I like, we're, we're going, you know, we're going to send you to Larry next week. Today's passage ends with Peter staying at the home of Simon the Tanner. Now, to me, my regular reading, it's like, okay, he went to Simon's house. Why is, why is he called Simon the Tanner? Well, Tanner was his job. Do you know what a Tanner does? Leather. Yeah, leather something. Leather. Yeah, the Tanners would deal with the skins of animals. He lived by the sea because they needed salt water to help the, the, make the, the skins more pliable. But also, Tanners were pretty much always ceremonially unclean. And Peter was staying in his house. And we, we see just this little, little hint that Peter's beginning to understand the extent of the gospel of Jesus, that even those whom he labels unclean can be declared clean through Christ. Peter's willingness to stay with Simon Shows that maybe he's starting to think through that. And maybe next week he's going to have a dream that helps him think through that even more. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't read that chapter yet. <laughs> Peter will soon see, because the Lord has placed him in Jaffa, that the Lord makes clean those whom we could not fathom being clean. And that is fantastic news to end with this morning. The Lord Jesus does not just make us temporarily healthy or partially clean. By His grace, by His shed blood, the most unclean folks are declared righteous. Spiritually healed, forgiven, and given new life. 
And the message of grace will continue to advance toward the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Thank You, Father, for Your healing power. Thank You for the example of those who have gone before us and the example of the Lord Jesus. Thank You for Your saving mercy in our lives. That we who were once Your enemies have now been called sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ. Father, for those in this room this morning who are not trusting in Christ, Lord, give them eyes to see and ears to hear that they will stand before You and give an account of the lives they have lived and, and what they have done with the Lord Jesus. And it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But, those who look to Christ for healing mercy are saved and forgiven. Grant faith, Lord, this morning. For those of us who have believed upon the Lord Jesus, strengthen us that we might be faithful ambassadors, that we might use the gifts and talents that You have given to us for Your glory, not for ours, in all things that Christ might be made much of. Father, we thank You for Your mercy and Your grace. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.